Right. Amen. So today we want to start a journey on the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. So I've titled this series, Understanding the Book of Ephesians. Ideally, if I was going to really teach the book of Ephesians, I should do it for six months. So I'm thinking and I've been praying, Lord, help me to do this in 12 weeks as we run into Christmas. And you guys will see what I'm talking about today because I may not go past the first or two verses of the book of Ephesians today. Uh, and that's to tell you how much is loaded in the word of God. I want to correct something, correct a thinking in the mind of many believers. Many believers think, I've read, I've read my Bible several times, so I know the word of God. I've heard people say things like, I've read my Bible cover to cover six times. And when we ask them some fundamental question about the word of God, they cannot they cannot explain, they cannot, they cannot explain, they cannot teach, they cannot relate to the word of God, the Bible, which they have claimed to have read six, seven, eight, nine times. Friend, it's to tell you that the word of God is so rich and is full of depth of insight that you cannot, you can't, you can't get everything out of it in one day. Not even in your lifetime, in a sense, because the revelations will keep coming up to you. I mean, they keep, deeper revelations will be coming to you from time to time, right? And the fact that you read something today does not mean that you, you've gotten everything about it. It doesn't mean that you understand it. There are certain things, even in the secular, there are certain knowledge I acquired last year that I only just started understanding them this year. Understanding takes time. It's one thing to read. It's one th another thing to know. It's another thing to understand. And it's another thing to be able to apply. And when you begin to apply is when you begin to test how well you understand the thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the book of uh, uh, Ephesians. So um, in today's teaching, I will look at the background of the book. The background of the book of Ephesians. And also, I, will, I want to talk about the significance of the words that Apostle Paul used in the in his salutation to the uh, to the Ephesian church, in the first three verses of Ephesians, there's so much loaded in it that I can teach for two services. Right, well, let me see how what I can do uh, today. Amen. I will excited about this. Yeah. Praise God. Right. So mm, the book of Ephesians was written in 60 AD by Apostle Paul, but I would like to actually look at what if it, that that uh, city called. Ephesus was like because when you when you hear Ephesians right it, it's not a bible title it's not a it just it's, it's not just a title of a book in the bible the, uh, the city of Ephesus actually existed so the letter the book of Ephesians was a letter written to Christians to believers who were living in Ephesus i repeat the what we call epistles right a letter written to the church. So the epistle of Ephesians, which is the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the to believers in Ephesus, was a letter written to believers in Ephesus. So Ephesus actually existed at some point, right? So let me read a few things that I kept, that I caught on um, on internet and some other resources and and my materials about it. But first of all, I want to I want to show you guys. What the the remains of Ephesus? Uh, I think I got a I got a picture on them, on there. I think the second to the last of the last one there, that shows us what Ephesus looks like. <clears throat> so, this is what Ephesus looks like today, to some extent, right? Yeah, and that kind of tells us it was a beautiful city. 
a few information I'm going to share with us about it uh, will, should, will paint an imagination in your mind of what the city really looked like. And there are some things, there are some significant messages about the city of Ephesus that I would like us to pay careful attention to. Right? So, uh, let's crack on. Fantastic. So, Ephesus was a was, uh, seaport on the Aegean Sea, one of the greatest trade and commerce cities of the ancient world. Take note of that. One of the greatest trade and commerce cities of the ancient world. I want to say maybe one of the London of the ancient world. I'm not trying to speak doom, but it kind of tells us that if, if that is what's left of Ephesus, a city that does not glorify or honor God, that does not have Christ in it, can actually go into ruin. So human beings should not put their confidence and trust in the economic power of a city or something. we got to be careful. We should learn to put our confidence and our trust in God. God is our source. Your employer is not your source. God is your source. Each and every one of us should learn to acquire skills, to maximize our talents, to develop our potentials. In case the economic situation in the country fails, if God leads you out of that country to another country, you can be relevant. But if you make a nation or make um, an employer your source, you would you are likely going to experience frustration, anxiety, and depression when there's a threat to your job. Right? So each and every one of us should not make our employer our source of income. Right? And as many of you who may be familiar with it, when you see your employer as your source, when there are news about job cuts, you begin to panic. And this is natural to nearly all of us. And that's why I'm encouraging myself and I'm encouraging you guys to learn to see God as your source. Identify the abilities and the talent and the gifts he has given to you. you know, sharpen and develop your skills, develop your talent. Ensure that you are able to take value to the marketplace in exchange for money. Please don't sit with a company uh, and, try to, and think of pension. That pension thing is a very dangerous thing. Anything can happen to that company overnight. I'm not trying to, stress, to, to threaten you or to scare you. So I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you that any system built by man can fail overnight. I repeat, any system built by man can fail overnight. So don't build your life on the systems created by man. Praise God. So let's carry on. So the city was one of the was once considered the most important Greek city and the most important trading center in the Mediterranean region. Hijack of power and all kind of, I'm not, I'm not an historian, I'm not a history student, so, but I read quite a number of things about how power was changing and in Ephesus and um, we saw what it is like today. Right. Uh, we, we are, well, think about Ukraine. I don't know how many people have abused their life and their everything about them on Ukraine and when Putin attacked Ukraine. See what Ukraine has returned to. Many people don't have no hopes or life anymore. Hope, hope, hope of living a good life anymore because all they had was Ukraine. And Ukraine is down, in a sense, maybe not in a political sense because there's a fighting going on, but for many people, 
Ukraine is down from the point of all of their life investment, everything they have is gone. There's a man who wasn't who was living in Ukraine. I read a report about the fact that he didn't have investment outside of um, Ukraine. He didn't have anything outside of Ukraine. And when Putin came after Ukraine and marked him as one of the people to be taken out, he had to um, run for his dear life. And he did not really have anywhere to go. Hopefully, you know, God is so amazing. He will always sort out his kids. Uh, but sometimes... But sometimes if we learn to put our confidence and trust in God, it's going to guide us when things are about to go wrong and we can, you know, we can adjust. God is so amazing. Amen. So Ukraine is down from a economic point of view. There's a lot of political things around it, but some, a lot of people have lost all of their life, uh, livelihood, everything. Many people are downcast. They don't think their life can ever amount to anything anymore because their homes, their property, their investment, and everything is gone. But that's not the plan of God for his children. Hence, I say to you, make God your source. Put your confidence in God. You know, I'm a pastor, so everything I teach you, I will always make it applicable to your life. That's what makes me a pastor. What makes me a pastor is that I'm able to teach you how to live out the word of God. Prophets will come and prophesy, teach you the word of God. Teachers will come and teach you the word of God and they will go. But I'm the one, or guys like me, are called to build you up. To be able to live a sane and a correct life in the world. That's why I told some kids off this morning when they were taking me for when they were just messing about with me this morning. Amen. And what this means is this: I don't only study the word of God, I intend five times, even much more, the hours I spent on studying the word to understand how it relates to people's lives and come on with structure and system and processes to help people understand it and be able to apply it to their lives. That is the work of a pastor. When your children have a child, how many of you go to call a prophet or an apostle somewhere in one country to come and help you to name your child? You call the pastor. Death in the family will spend hours with you on the phone to console you, to encourage you, to challenge you. Your pastor. And many other things that has to do with your daily life. Who bears everything your pastor? Do you know that those things your pastor do also drains them emotionally? We don't only teach the word of God. We don't only do many of, and, I'm talk, and I'm talking about pastors like me who know, the, who know what their job entails. We don't only teach you the word of God. We take, when you go through pain, we take on that pain, we share of that pain so that we can relate with you. What qualified Jesus as our high priest and the best pastors in the world? Because he, because he, he encountered every temptation we have been through and that's what qualified him to be a high priest. Who is qualified to die for our sins. So many of the things that you guys go through, we take on the pain to be able to come down to the level and be able to relate with you. So pastoring is not just, you know, I don't want to go into that, that direction. Basically, I'm just trying to say that I, my job is to ensure that I have to be able to help you understand the word of God. Leave it applied to your life. Amen. So this is just line two on my notes. We still have a long way to go. Let's carry on. Right. So it was visited, still talking about uh, Ephesus. It was visited by many travelers and businessmen and was built, watch this, built around sexual pleasure. Amen. It was, built, it was built around sexual pleasure, built around sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. We know that whatever is given to sin is orchestrated for destruction. So even if the economic power of the country is not down, look at the sanity of the people living in the country. So London, UK, Britain might not be down. Thank God for saints like me and, and many other saints who are in this and you guys who are watching, who are listening, who are praying for this nation, preaching the gospel. 
But if light was not in this country, if Christianity was not in this country, this country is going down, it's imploding in no time. Because a time will come, even the intellectuals, the ones that seem to be intelligent, by the time sin eat up their brain, this country is coming down. Amen. Sin does no good to any man. Particularly where there's immorality, and immorality is the order of the day. So where there's immorality, where immorality invades a community, a home, a marriage, a society, demons habitate. Even some countries that are not that are not of the of the of the faith, but have some decent sense of morality, they see some kind of peace. Give room, open, open the world, open the place up to immorality of every kind, and you see manifestation of demonic uh, uh, demonic powers. It's as simple because demons are unclean spirits. They are filled with the spirit. And they die in the wine. They breed in places where anything that is not of the order of God, how God created things, wherever anything is acting in, against the order of God, demons operate and enjoy. Amen. Hence, you see some people who are not strong believers or who are not even believers, but they just follow the order of nature, how God designed things. And it seems that they, see more, they experience more peace than many Christians who are given to sexual immorality. I'm a pastor. I'm balancing things out for you. In case you see yourself as a Christian, things don't seem to be working for you, but your next door neighbor, who is not a Christian, right? there's more peace in their life. There's less anxiety. Because they are not doing something. The Bible says where there's envy and strife, there's confusion at every walk. And if your neighbors are not envious, they are quick to forgive. They don't harbor offense in their heart. They don't chew other people. I, I tell you, they will experience more peace than you do. Even though they do not know the word of God, but they understand the order of things. That the human body was not designed to carry strife, anger, grief, and all kind of uh, anger, resentment, jealousy, and all kind of stuff. And that's why many unsaved seem to be living more Bet, a better life than us who are Christians because we have a sense of Christianity but we do not live out our Christian life. We don't give substance to it. And many of us have been confused to think that by living, by doing the right things, God will be happy with us. We are trying to please God by our effort. But your unsaved neighbor have told you, I've shown you in a sense that I don't have any God I'm trying to please. I just live right because it is right for me to live right. Am I helping you a little bit here? Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's carry on. So, uh, I showed you some ruins of um, Ephesus today. And that, those ruins are actually preserved in, an, in, an, in, a, in a region in Turkey today. In a, it's called, um, they call it Izmir region. So, Ephesus is located somewhere in Turkey. Make sense? Awesome. Right. So, it was most popular in the ancient world for the, for the worship of Diana. Uh, the goddess of fertility, also known as Artemis. So the Romans worshipped Diana, and what Romans, from what I studied, or my understanding of, but the way I'm interpreting it, how, how well I can explain this, what the Romans considered as, as Diana was what the Greek considered as um, Artemis. Right, I think I have, um, I have a photo there about the, the what's it called? What do you call it again? Yeah, 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 Artemis, yeah. So what you have on the screen right now is the remains of the temple of Artemis, the equivalent of Diana, called the many-breasted goddess. Right. Carry on. Uh, we have a story coming up shortly, which we're going to go, we go into much details later on. So the temple of Artemis, which is the equivalent of Diana, built just on the outskirts of the city of Ephesus. Watch this. 
was referred to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There's a problem. <laughs> so in the ancient world, in, in times of, you know, in, in, in the ancient world, yeah. So one of the seven wonders of that time is this, uh, what's called, Temple of um, Artemis. And it tells us how, how sexual immorality was the order of the day was prevalent. You know, people today say the world is coming to an end. All these things are happening. But there was what's going on even in different places back in the day. Amen. The problem we only have now is that um, digital technology has made it more accessible to each and every one of us. I think digital technology is just exposing what is in the heart of people. It's simple. And many of us who are not censored in the way we access digital content are having access to all manner of minds. Because what is on, what is on, technology is not the problem. Let, let's, let me get this clear to you. That technology, TV, media, no, that device, that technology is not a problem. It is what people are putting into it that is the problem. And the second part of the problem is you who is not conscious or aware of the fact that people are actually feeding you the, the death of their mind and you are consuming it. So the technology is not the problem because as I'm preaching and teaching you guys through this similar technology and I'm giving you life, I could be giving you death. When most of our young people go into to, uh, O2 and some other kind of concerts where they go and take in death, those same platforms, we go there as believers and we give life. So the platform and the technology is not a problem. It is what is put into the platform is the problem. So people should not accuse social media or accuse technology. The technology is not the problem. The content going into the technology is the problem, and the people consuming it without discretion have should work on themselves. Amen. Let's carry on. So Diana was worshipped through sexual orgies. Pleasure was God in, Greek, in the Greek culture. And sex outside of marriage was, was a perfectly acceptable lifestyle. Does that look like what we're what we experiencing now today? So even back in the day where there was no digital technology, it was a lifestyle and people were traveling. Now you can easily access those nonsense on your mobile device. But back then, people were traveling. So when people are not in these days are not, are not willing to travel to church, we should check ourselves. I repeat, if today, where people are being spiritually blessed, you know, energized, educated, nourished. And young people, listen to me, because many of you guys, we, we have a challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to that later, later on. You know, we've become so lazy and we've become, we've become so pleasure and comfort-minded. And I'm, I'm talking to myself as well. We've become so lazy, so comfort-minded. Yes, yes, there was pandemic. But pandemic is gone. And we, we just stay, we stayed in that, that, the rot that pandemic brought to us. Allowing our brain to be to be messed up, to be, to be, I mean, one thing, one place where you get it, where you get life and you meet human beings, fellowship with them. Each and every one of you know that when you go to church and you meet in person, the right church, the right people, something happens to you. You are edified. In the old days, people were traveling, even today, the people are still traveling to go do madness. See, there are all manner of websites on the internet. Who cops site on that kind of stuff? I don't want to mention all the more names. 
and people will hook up with people on the internet and they go and meet in person to do their madness. So what, what is happening in the body of Christ that people will not, will not push their body out of the comfort, their comfort zone to go to the place where they will be edified? Yes, if you used to be part of a church that used to manipulate and things like that, why don't you begin to pray that God will lead you to a place that you will be edified? Friends, there's no substitution to in-person meeting, I tell you. See, God is not stupid. Apostle Paul was telling us at some point, he said we should not forsake the fellowship of the brethren. So teenagers, listen to me. You see all this media, media thing, I'm available online. Let me tell you, it is not the right order of life. You meet with people in person. Now, I've done a lot of study in the past few months. And it's been said, the research report that I've read, countless in a sense, says that in this time of digital access is the time in the history of mankind that people are the, are the most depressed and anxious. Loneliness, depression. So, listen to me, young girls. Young girls, young girls, listen to me. You have many friends on social. And you feel, you think like, or you feel like you have friends, but yet you are lonely and depressed, anxious, unhappy. But you have thousands of friends. They even send you clothes and all kinds of things for your birthday party. They send you your iPhone and things like that. But all of you are digitized in your thinking. You don't see a person. You see media. Your, your brain has been compartmentalized. And you don't live in a real world. You live in a Barbie land. Praise the Lord. Bless, God bless you as you received that word with um, encouragement. Praise God. We got to check ourselves. So the Bible tells us that, you know, the things that were written in the Old Testament were, were lessons for us to learn from. They were written for our own good. So when people read the Bible, watch this, watch this, watch this. I heard this nonsense from many, from many preachers. Hmm. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, I'm just switching into my acting mode. Hmm. The thread that goes through the Bible is Christ. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. Any other thing that is not of Jesus in the Bible is not. Is, is not. Do you know what they're saying? They're trying to say. They're saying that you cannot get any more that common sense in the Bible than just read about Jesus. Just about Jesus. Stupidity. How did that Andrew Max says? I can't remember now. That's nonsense. I will show us from Ephesians. The first part of Ephesians, chapter 1 to chapter 3, was, is focused on our position in Christ Jesus. Our identity in Christ. And the second part, 4, 5, and 6, is focused on how to apply our position in Christ Jesus to our daily life. And that's why many, many Christians today focus on, they, they are so spiritually minded in their brain, but they are so useless character-wise. No godliness. Stupid to deceive. This is gone seed. I'm trying to remember that word. I like how Andrew Max says it. No, so much nonsense going out in the world today. People, people will quote the scripture, they will quote the Bible accurately, giving you even the Greek. But their life is no resemblance of the holiness, of the righteousness that the word of God carries. What kind of Christianity is that? Praise the Lord. So let's carry on. How did Christianity get into Ephesus? Praise the Lord. So let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 19 from verse 1 to 20. Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. 
So this series is going to be, I'm going to be doing different kind of things as I'm teaching, correcting. I'm also going to be teaching you theology. You know, it's just a, it's a good mix. Praise the Lord. Acts 19. Watch this. Uh, I think I should read from the New King James. It reads, say, and it happened, excuse me, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Hello. So you don't only find Ephesus, just in the book of Ephesians, right? So I wish I could do a Bible, a, a, you know, a Bible study and teaching about those things. But let's carry on. I hope the young people listening, so we are, we are taking to theology a little bit. Right. So um, I'll take the verse one again. And it, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And they went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom. Let's pause here. So Apostle Paul got himself into Ephesus, found some guys who kind of believed, but they were disciples, were disciples of John, led them to Christ, prayed for them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And he was there teaching the gospel. So Jesus did not preach the gospel to Ephesians. To, to, I mean, Jesus, Jesus did not take the gospel into Ephesus. A saint person did. Apostle Paul did. Amen. Let's carry on. So, but when some were ardent, verse 9 of uh, Acts 19, but when some were ardent and did not believe, spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. Reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia are the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirit went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise, by, we exorcise you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so? And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of, their ha of that house, naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in, e watch this, in Ephesus. Verse 17, I repeat. This became known to both to all Jews and Greeks, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them 
on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up, value, up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of God did what? Grew mightily and prevailed. Now watch that. I wanted to call a few things out that is significant to the impact of Christianity in any city or any town. Today we seem to have a practice that is unscriptural. And that practice is this. People go out for prayer work and praying over the city. And they are pushing out principalities and powers out of the city. The question is, where did Paul do that? Now, these guys, with all the prayers they have been doing, I'm not condemning prayer. Prayer is good. But I'm trying to call out something very important here. Some people even go as far as renting a plane or helicopter or going on the mountain, the highest or a very tall building, and pray against the principalities and powers in that place so that the gospel can prevail. Now, the question is, in those places, despite all those prayers, how far or how much has the gospel actually prevailed? So praying against principalities in a town, in a place, does not move anything. It can prepare the heart of the people, make, it, make them sensitive to hear the gospel. But except someone preaches the gospel and do the work, forget about it, nothing will happen. There's no record here of Paul conducting any kind of revival meeting. Breakthrough prayers. Revival prayer. For something to happen here. I understand the place of Azusa Street. I, I can't go into that details right now. Right. But from what we see in the Bible. You know the impact of Azusa Street did not last too long. <laughs> because you see you can pray. You can pray. Get people together. Pray, 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 pray. But if you don't teach them the word of God. And help them change the way they think. They will be thinking the thought of demons. And it's only a matter of time. That revival will die. How many revival are still standing today? The impact of many revival, except for a few who were product of those revival and took their Christian faith and their calling very seriously and went on to do great works. But with respect to the volume and the amount of people who attended, who attended these revival meetings, how much work of the Christian faith has actually really uh, remained in certain places where those revival meetings were held? Let's pray for revival. Let's pray for revival. Yes, we keep praying for revival, but how how? How long does the impact of a revival meeting last? How? Very uh, shortly afterwards, it becomes a memory, a thing of the past. Yeah, we had this great revival. No, what happened then is not what we're talking about. We're talking about now. Now, look at this. You know, a parent was speaking to me on Friday, and she was, <laughs> she was, she was trying to get me to kind of mentor. Uh, she's got two, and um, some other. You know, because I was going, because I'm putting together a package for 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 young adults and things like that. I don't want to go into details here. And she kept mentioning some other people, other people, other people. And I'm counting, say I've counted five. It's going like a six. Uh, you're thinking about seven. Like, and I said, you know what? When, um, when we are ready, when we put this together, I'm going to let you know. And stuff like that. I get to me. Now, young people, which some parents have spoken to me, their kids don't want to go to church anymore. But we had revival meetings. So why are our children not going to church? Why are teenagers no longer interested in church? 
Why are they getting to universities and don't want to have anything to do with church anymore? What about the revival meetings that we've had? Then some of us are holding on that revival meeting and trying to hold a revival meeting. But yet people are in their droves, believers, leaving church. You know, Jesus was reminding me yesterday to let you guys know, you guys may be feel disappointed about this. See, I'm called to pastor Christians. Oh, uh-huh. I've been struggling. And I said, Lord, what's going on? And we just and I was just talking, I was praying and praying yesterday and things like that. And it reminded me of the vision he showed me in 2015. He said, shepherd my people. And I remember I went to another prayer session years later when I was struggling because I want, because there's some, because of all of the nonsense I've seen in the church, I don't want to have anything to do with Christians. I want to just win new converts and disciple them and train them. And the Lord said to me in that, pray, in that, in that prayer session, he said, we are losing our own. So we are losing our own. And the way the word hit my spirit, it was so strong. I could feel the, I could feel, I could feel the heartbeat of Jesus. I don't want to say it was sad, but the kind of sad-like feeling he had of Jesus, I felt it all of a sudden. So we are losing our home. Where's the impact of the revival? Do you see what Paul did there? He was reasoning with the people in the synagogue daily. You want to see change and transformation in the city? Someone's got to carry the gospel there. Someone's got to embody the gospel of Christ Jesus. Praise God. So we saw in there, and I'm trying to I've tried to correct a mindset. Don't join them to go and to, to go on a on a prayer trip to pray over a city. If you guys pray, the moment you finish praying, step out on the streets. Start putting together strategies to communicate the gospel, to disciple people, to mentor people into the faith. If you go and pray alone, you've only wasted your time. Praise God. Pray so that the people's hearts can be sensitive and ready to receive the gospel. But you got to preach. Go and read the book of Romans chapter 10. He said, how can they believe if they have not heard? And how can they hear? If, how can they believe in God, in Christ that they have not heard? And how can they hear except somebody go and preach and how can somebody go and preach except someone is sent? So don't expect the world to become a good place automatically. Many of us have to put in the effort. Are we getting the message? Don't, ex- don't, don't I don't want to hear things like, eh, but when, when people are not ready. But when they are ready, they will come. Forget about it. We don't see that in the Bible. What we saw in the Bible, what we can see in the Bible is, is the apostles stepping out, talking to people. Praise God. Right, so we've seen how the gospel came into the book of uh, the gospel came into Ephesus. So uh, it later becomes so. Let's still carry on about um, Ephesus and Christianity. So it later becomes one of the most important cities in early Christianity. Right, Ephesus is linked to uh, Saint Paul. You know, living living here and preaching among the early Christian communities, like we read in the book of Acts chapter nineteen. Watch this. Through this chief city, Paul was able to evangelize um, uh, almost all of Asia. We saw that in the book of Acts chapter 19. <laughs> Watch this. This is mine. <laughs> yeah. I've talked about this, but I just want to um, add, add to some things I've just covered. I said, it seems like the temple of Diana and the ungodly practices in that region were not strong enough to stop the impact of the gospel. Have you had this nonsense that, man, there's stronghold in that city. The gospel cannot thrive in that city. But do you know that this was one of the headquarters of idol worship in the, in the ancient world? Do you know that the, the temple of Artemis 
was considered one of the same wonders of the world. People, business people were traveling down there. Idol worship was at, what, what was at a level, unprecedented level. And was a lifestyle. Sexual immorality, adultery was lifestyle. And in that, Ephesus was one of the central places from which the gospel spread to other parts of the world. <laughs> when we're going to start the, the transformation church, people were telling me, say, ah, meeting this is hard. There are witches there. And many pastors are bought into that ideology. I don't think the witches in Milton Kings are as, far, as much. Because I've not really seen, I've not, I've not seen a day or a weekend. I've not seen people traveling to Milton Kings to go to one idol worship center. That could probably intimidate many Christians. But we saw Paul preaching the gospel. So there's no demonic activity in your home, in your marriage. In any place that can overpower the gospel, as long as the people's hearts are ready and willing to receive. One reason why I cancelled one of my meetings today is because if the people's heart is not ready or ready to receive, it's just a waste of time. See, I will not force anyone to receive the gospel. Do you see what Paul did in Acts chapter 19? When some people spoke evil of the way and will not agree, he left them, he took the disciples. Any young person who is giving me attitude for an no, I'm not pastoring them. I'm not discipling them. No. Or adult. No. Because there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people out there looking for opportunity to hear the gospel and to be discipled. I'm giving out what I did not have in my own time as a young adult. And then I allow people to make a mess of me. It will not happen. Not in my lifetime. Never. Amen. So, a few things you should also, I think you should also note. So, John, the Apostle John what we call St. John, is, is also said to have lived in Ephesus and possibly wrote the Gospel of John while, while living in Ephesus. And Mary, according to tradition, Ephesus, Ephesus was where Mary was brought by St. John and she's said to have lived out her last years here. Uh, tourists and pilgrims still come to visit the house of Virgin Mary. I think I should make a trip to Turkey and go see the remains of Ephesus. Amen. So we have just about five minutes to go, but let me quickly do this. So I want to start looking at the book of, um, the book of Ephesus himself, itself. So what we looked at is the background. It's very important that we understand the context, right? So that, and I, I believe that context blessed you. It blessed me a lot when I, was, when I was meditating on those things because many of us Christians today, we just preach the word of God, we teach the word of God, but we don't actually look at how we can impact our society, our communities with what we have and what we have. Amen. And many of us, most of the time, we are overpowered, overwhelmed, overwhelmed is a better word, overwhelmed with what we can see around us. And we think that we cannot minister the gospel. There's no amount of sexual immorality on digital that can hinder the gospel from reaching the heart of certain people. There's a lot of work, a lot of strategies to be, to be involved, but we'll come into that in future. Now, at verse 1, I can do this for two services. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want to do in five minutes is to show us that there can be a lot in a verse of the Bible. Now, in the past nine weeks, I was teaching from uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 3 and 4, for eight weeks. <laughs> Amen. So someone says, you know, that message that pastor preached, I've had it before, so I don't need to be, I don't need to go to church, or I don't need to go for Bible study. You are joking. Watch this. Watch this. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul writing. So when he says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, what does that mean? Why, why, did, he, um, why, did, he come, why did he call himself an apostle? Why did he indicate his position, his ministry position? An apostle, okay, who is an apostle? So when you're reading your Bible, there are questions to ask. You know, I've given us the context of the Bible. So, of the, so what, who was this book written to? Why? For what reason? Why did they write these things? We're going to get into all of this context as, I, as, I, as, I, as, as we go on this journey. Why was it written? What's the significance of this? I've shared with us earlier on that the book of Ephesians is divided into two parts. One, one to three, our position in Christ Jesus. The blessings, the plan of God, the plan of God, the redemption of the redemptive plan of God through Christ Jesus. Paul was stating this, helping the believers in Ephesus to understand their position in Christ. And four to six, how to live, how to apply their position in Christ. Even chapter six, talking about your authority over principalities and powers. Praise the Lord. Now, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Watch this. Apostleship is not a talent. Bless this. Get, let's get this right. Apostleship is not a talent. It's not a talent a person is born with. It is the gift of God and it comes by grace. Now, Paul said, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle is a sent person, a messenger, someone sent somewhere to carry out an assignment. An apostle is a sent one. And human beings can send themselves. Anybody can claim the title apostle. But Paul here emphasized an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means as an apostle, I am appointed by Jesus Christ, not by organizations or institutions. In many organizations today, apostleship is considered as class, as hierarchy in the church. So you start as a deacon, you move on to the level of a pastor, then you go to prophet, or you go to from pastor to bishop, and from bishop to apostle. And when you go to some of these organizations, they say things like, those are the apostles. And then you don't have senior apostle. Are we all right? <laughs> are we okay? Senior apostle. Seriously? Now, I'm going to shut down with this. Lord, Father, I'm just about to start. I'm just about getting excited. Come on. Okay, okay, we'll do this. Apostle with no results. Check out the apostles in the Bible. And check out their results. We saw the result of Paul as an apostle. He was the one who brought the gospel into Ephesus and some other places. What are you talking about? And some of his work were scattered around, went to, you know, impacted other, 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 other cities, other nations. Senior apostle in the church with no result. Show us your results, sir. Where did God, where, where did God send you to, Omar? So when you hear things like senior apostle, you better run. It tells us that, it tells us that the people are position-minded. And people who are position-minded are controllers. They are users. Jesus did not call himself pastor something or senior apostle something. I'll post there before the riots break out in front of my house. <laughs> Amen. So the Greek word for the Greek word, because some people say, you know what, you didn't share the Greek or the Hebrew. Okay, let me the Greek word for apostle means apostolos. Right? Someone who is going with a particular mission to a particular destination. You know, I said things about, you know, because I met a few Christians, and like the Greek word, the Hebrew. And I look at them, I said, do you think I don't know the Greek and the Hebrew word? You, you are sleeping with the, the girls in your church, and you're coming here to tell me nonsense, Greek and Hebrew word. Are you all right? You can't apply the basic principles of the word of God to your life, 
and you are coming, coming to try to make me feel that you are important because you know the Greek and the Hebrew word. The Greek and the Hebrew word that you know does not bless your, benefit your life. You are coming to tell me about the Greek and Hebrew word. Are you all right? Do you know, <laughs> no, it's a Christianity and ministry leadership is not for sure off. It's to bless people. Go and read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It's to build people. It's not to build position. It's not to, it's not to gain recognition or, or to get some significance. Let me stop there. So that's verse 1. Did I say that I can do verse 1 for two services? So that's verse 1. So you guys get to pray with me that you know, God help this brother to be able to finish this efficiency in, in 12 weeks. Like I said, if I want to do a good job with efficiency, I'll do it for uh, I'll do it for what? Six months. So maybe I'll do chapter 1 to chapter 3 uh, for 12 weeks. And then in the new year, we, we do it 4, 5, and 6. But let's see how God leads us. Amen. Praise God. I hope that blesses you guys. Uh, this was just background about the book of Ephesians. And um, just trying to get into it to show you the significance of the book in our lives and those messages. Amen. Praise God. So next week, we'll look at verse 1 to 3 or verse 1 to 6. Pray for us. Praise the Lord. All right, let's bow our heads for prayers. Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus for your word that's come to us today, your rebuke, your correction, your edification. And I help us to understand that we are not powerless and, with the, and, the, and the gospel has a lot of power, has a huge power to change lives, to transform cities. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that as we meditate on this truth, as we go about our week, that our ears will be open to hear the, the things you're speaking to our hearts and what we need to do differently in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. I speak over this household. I declare we are blessed in the name of Jesus. I declare in the name of Jesus that your people's ears will be open to um, understand how to maximize their talent and their potentials, improve themselves such that they can take quality service and product to the marketplace so that they will not be living in, in fear or be under the bondage of fear and the harassment of employers who seems to be in charge of their finances. I pray that your people will begin to see how much treasure you have put on the inside of them and abilities. I pray for strength and mental strength. I pray for breakthroughs in the mind in the name of the Lord Jesus, that people will be able, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to develop those abilities and to be free from the bondage of fear that the economic structure of their society uh, has kind of pulled them in, that they'll be free to be what they are called to be, do what they are called to do in the name of Jesus. Give, be a blessing, you know, and, and, and reach out to other people uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I speak breakthrough over their church household, over the church family in the name of Jesus. Financial breakthroughs in the name of Jesus as the people see what you have entrusted them with their abilities in the name of Jesus. I pray for favor. I pray for connections in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that the right information comes your way. And I pray as people see this information and this knowledge that they'll be able, they'll be sensitive to recognize them and they will know how to apply them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.